Now we're turning tonight to the book of Joel. We're going to read from Joel chapter 3. Joel is one of the minor prophets. So if you get to Matthew and work your way back, you'll eventually come to the prophecy of Joel. Joel chapter 3, and we're going to read together the first 17 verses. I invite you to turn in the copy of the scriptures uh, to this passage, and also for those online, it will come up on screen. We're reading, of course, from the authorized version, uh, we believe to be a very faithful and reliable translation of the original Hebrew and the Greek. Joel chapter 3, we're going to read from verse 1. Let's hear the word of the Lord. For behold, in those days and in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. And they have cast lots for my people and have given a boy for an harlot and sold a girl for wine that they might drink. Yea, and what have ye to do with me, O Tyre and Sidon and all the coasts of Palestine? Will ye render me a recompense? And if ye recompense me swiftly and speedily, will I return your recompense Upon your own head, because ye have taken my silver and my gold, and have carried into your temples my goodly, pleasant things. The children also of Judah and the children of Jerusalem have ye sold unto the Grecians, that ye might remove them far from their border. Behold, I will raise them out of the place whither ye have sold them, and will return your recompense upon your own head. And I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the children of Judah. And they shall sell them to the Sabaeans, to a people far off, for the Lord have spoken it. Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into sores and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen, and gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause the mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full. The vats, the fats overflow. For their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and their stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion, and utter his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people, and the strength of the children of Israel. So shall you know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy, 
and there shall no stranger pass through her any more. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 17. We pray the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text tonight is taken from Joel chapter uh, 3, uh, verses 13 and 14. It reads as follows, Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come get you down, for the press is full, the fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And my theme tonight is entitled, The Harvest Ripe for Judgment. Now here's another one of the 53 references in the Bible that uh, make mention of the subject of the harvest. And Joel here is thinking of the harvest that's ripe for judgment. Remember now, I've already told you this, that the harvest time is an occasion to look back. And as we look back, we're thankful to the Lord for his promise being fulfilled once again. Remember, according to Genesis 8, 22, there has always been a harvest and there always will be a harvest right up to the end of the age. So this is an occasion to look up and be thankful and praise the Lord for his goodness and rejoice in the precious fruit of the earth that he has given to us. No one in the United Kingdom is starving or dying from hunger at this time. The harvest is also an occasion to look up then and to praise the Lord. It's also an occasion to look forward. Because let me tell you tonight, every harvest in every age is a pointer to the final harvest that's to come. A harvest that's ripe for judgment. And it's that harvest that Joel actually mentions in the verse 13. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Now, Joel is one of the minor prophets. His prophecy may minor in size, but definitely not in substance. His message is timely, significant, and of course uh, is um, greatly insightful in relation to current and future events. I want to instruct you that the year is approximately 835 BC. Joel is one of God's prophets. He's prophesying in the name of the Lord to the northern kingdom long before the Syrian invasion uh, of uh, that kingdom. And uh, Joel's name means Jehovah is God. And the immediate occasion for Joel's prophecy seems to have been a literal swarm of locusts which invaded the land. That was a day of great calamity, a day of great destruction. Not just one or two or three or four locusts, not just thousands, but, but millions of them. You, you think of the land, it's green one minute. And then in the next moment, it, it's, it's bare. The crops, the, the trees have been stripped bare. The, the vineyards and the crops are gone. The olives are gone. Look with me at chapter 1, verse 10. Notice it says there, the field is wasted, the land mourneth, for the corn is wasted, the new wine is dried up, the oil languishes. Be ye ashamed, O ye husbandman, howl, O ye vine dressers, for the wheat and for the barley. 
because the harvest of the field is perished, the vine is dried up, the fig tree languisheth, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree, even all the trees of the field are withered because joy is withered away from the sons of men. Why did this happen? The simple answer is because of sin. In Joel 3.13 he says, For their wickedness is great. And in chapter 2 then he explained that the country, the northern kingdom of Israel, was suffering under the hand of God's judgment. And was that a harsh thing to say? The answer is no. Because remember, sin pays wages, not only to the individual, but to the nation that sins against God. And yet in the midst of this judgment, God had a message for them. And his message is found in Joel chapter 2 and verses 12 and 13. Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fastings, and with weeping, and mourning. And rend your heart and not your garments and turn on to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repenteth him of the evil. If you repent and return unto me, then here's what the Lord is promising that he will do. He will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. He says in verse 25, And I restore to you the years that the locust have eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army, which I sent among you. So here's something that's true in an individual level. Here's something that's true in a congregational level. Here's something that's true in a national level. And this uh, literal um, uh, and, and spiritual locust plague Joel is well aware that it's a forerunner of a much greater judgment in the great and terrible day of the Lord. And that greater judgment would, first of all, take the form of allowing an invading army to come into the land and to devour it, just, just like the locusts had done. And, of course, that invading army was the Syrian army in 722 B.C. And in that day, there would be signs in the heaven. And signs in the earth that would point to and cultivate in a day of great final judgment. And yet despite that great day of final judgment, there would also be ultimate blessing for the land of Israel. Joel is well aware that God is sovereign. God is in control. And he takes us then in verses 12 and 13 that I've read in Joel 3 uh, to the scene at the end of the world. Here's events that's going to usher in the great and final judgment. God is a summons to the heathen. God is a place to bring them to. The, the heathen are brought to the valley of Jehoshaphat, which means the valley of God's judgment. And there in that valley, God is going to finally judge the heathen of the world. He is going to sit on his throne of judgment. And he's going to command. And we're going to see who that command is uh, 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 addressed to. And the command is this, put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. And we're told why, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. And that word decision in verse 14 means threshing. And they're there for the threshing of God because of their wickedness in that day. I want you to think of three things tonight. 
I want you to think of the day of the ripened harvest. He says in verse 13, for the harvest is ripe. You see, the destruction of the ripened harvest in the day of Joel by the locusts and the destruction of the land in the days of the Assyrian invasion in 722 BC was a forerunner, was a harbinger of ushering in the day of final harvest. And Job is well aware that the great harvest day of the world has come. And here's the reason, as I've said. Think of the words, for their wickedness is great. See, in the days of Joel, sin was great. Is sin not great in our day and generation? Is this not a day, too, of idolatry, a day of iniquity, a day of immorality, a day of ignoring God, a day of indifference to him? You think of the lifestyle of many tonight in Northern Ireland with no thought nor fear of the Lord. Men deliberately leaving the Lord out of their lives. You think of the explosion of immorality that's going on. Could we not say that divorce is on the rise? Think of the children that's born out of wedlock. Less and less people coming to the house of God. Less and less people have an appetite for the things of God. Very few real, genuine, godly people. False religion on the rise. False teaching abounding. You think of the apostasy of mainstream uh, Protestant denominations. You, you think of the false ecumenism that goes on. And then add into that the, the professing church and what state are we in? Well, are we not all in a state of coldness and backsliding before the Lord? Turn over there to the book of Matthew. Uh, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 12. Here's what the Lord Jesus said. This is what life on earth is like prior to his coming. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 12, and he tells us there. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And is that not true today in the professing church? You add into that mix all manner of strife and discord and violence and theft and adultery and drunkenness. You, you, you think of the explosion of drug addiction even here in Northern Ireland. We, we hear constantly in the news of war and rumor of war. Could we not say that perilous times has come? Are we not living in the last of the last days? Remember what Paul, writing to Timothy, whom he left the pastor of the church at Ephesus, said in uh, 2 Timothy in chapter 3. And he said this, 2 Timothy chapter 3, This know also in the last days perilous times shall come. What will they be like? For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. And even though we're living in perilous times, can I tell you, there's worse times to come. There's a period known in the Bible as the Great Tribulation, a seven-year period of Great Tribulation. And, and many are asking, well, well, what's happening in the United Kingdom? This explosion of godlessness, lawlessness, where's it all going to end? 
Could, could I tell you where it's going to end? It's going to end right here in the valley of Jehoshaphat. The armies of the earth will be summoned for assembly for battle against God and his Christ. They're going to be gathered there in that valley that's outside the city of Jerusalem. And they're going to be gathered for the last final harvest ever. This was mentioned by the Lord Jesus. Turn over there to Matthew 13 tonight. Look with me at verse 37. He says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 37, here's the parable of the wheat and the tares. It says, he answered and said unto them, Matthew 13, 37, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man, the field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked. The enemy that sowed them is the devil, the harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be at the end of the world. And the Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Do you know what's also mentioned by John in the book of Revelation? Let me just read that scripture to you. Revelation chapter 14. And it says there in the verse 14 and 15. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat in the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And wasn't it the Lord Jesus himself that said in John chapter 12, verse 48, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words is one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. And it's that day that Joel is speaking about. Five times Joel mentions this day of the Lord. And he compares the day of the Lord to a day of harvest. He uses the analogy of the harvest. And he's thinking about the final harvest of the world. And you know what? I, I believe that day is closer than we think. Joel mentions that day, the day of the Lord. Uh, Joel 1, verse 15. He mentions it again in Joel 2, verse 1. Joel 2, 11. Joel 2, 31. And Joel 3, 14. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Now the question is this, that on that day, is Jesus Christ your Lord and Saviour? You see, if Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior and you die in your sins, on that day, he will sit on the throne and he will not save you. He will be your judge. And you've got to ask yourself, am I ready to face him on the final harvest day? Because if you meet him on the final harvest day, then you'll not be saved. You'll hear words, depart from me, you cursed, you worker of iniquity, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, many of you here have heard of the late Pastor Willie Mullen, former pastor of Lurgan Baptist Church. 
And you can read a story in a little book called Tramp After God. He tells in that book of a time when he was living as a tramp and as a tramp, he was invited to a Baptist mission somewhere in County Down, and the pastor was a pastor, Tucker. He sat at the back. He said he was rough. He said he was smelly. No, nobody sat beside him. Uh, nobody spoke to him, uh, which, which is a real shame. But, but Pastor Tucker preached that day, or that night, on the great day of the wrath of the Lamb. So he's preaching from Revelation chapter 6 and verse 17. William Mullen sat at the back and he thought, this is crazy. This is absolutely rubbish. I couldn't believe a word of this. This this is utter garbage. That man up there, well, he's lost his marbles. I'll never be back in a meeting like that, preaching about the wrath of the Lamb. Well, weeks passed. He was planning, along with others, a burglary. In fact, he had found a place to rob. Having spied the place and was heading to enter it, The fear of the Lord came upon him. And he had to go into a nearby field. And in that field he was overcome with the thought, the great day of the wrath of the Lamb has come. And it filled his heart. And immediately he thought, I'm not ready to meet God. And in that day the preacher said, I'm going to be raised up to meet God in the judgment. And I'll have no advocate. And I'll not be able to make a plea bargain. And I'll be silent. He remembered his own mother. She was a born-again believer. She had prayed for Willie as a child, as a young teenager. And in that field, he bowed his head and he prayed, Lord, if I come to you as I am, will you take me as I am? And in that moment, he was wonderfully and powerfully converted. And what was he converted by? The fear of the great day of the wrath of the Lamb. And I want to ask you tonight, are you converted? Do you fear the great day of the wrath of the Lamb? Are you ready to meet God? You see, that great day of wrath is coming. And every harvest, from the beginning of time, true in Joel's day, is also a harbinger of the final harvest that's to come. And here's the question. Are you ready to meet God in that day? Do you belong to him? Do you know Christ? The day of the ripened harvest. I want you to see secondly, and very quickly, if you go back to the text, the description of the ripened harvest. Notice it says, For the harvest is ripe. Come get you down, for the press is full. The fats, the fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. You see, when he says here, for the harvest is ripe, what does that mean? It means it's ripe for harvesting. In other words, it's ready at that moment. The picture is of an individual, or, or a nation, or, or a company of nations who have so wearied the Lord with their great wickedness that God's patience and his long-suffering, God's pleading with them has come to an end. Their cup of iniquity is now full and there's nothing left for them but judgment. In other words, the harvest is ripe for judgment. There's no longer going to be a delay to that judgment. Let me ask tonight, how are you living 
You've been privileged in Northern Ireland to hear the gospel. Many have learned it from their mother's knee. Many of you know the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and his personal work, how he was born for sinners, how he was incarnated in the womb of the virgin, he was God manifest in the flesh, how he lived a sinless life, how he died an atoning death on the cross. But this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. How he was raised again for our justification. How he's back now in heaven, seated alongside his father. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemy thy footstool. Thou dost know that he's coming again. You've heard the doctrine of the second coming. We believe in a visible, personal, literal coming again of Jesus Christ from heaven. And you know the good news of the gospel. And you know that you're guilty before God. Your own conscience tells you. Romans 3 and 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. We sinned in Adam. And we inherited the guilt of his first transgression. And every other sin inherits additional guilt. And we also have a heart that loves sin. Not only do you know you're guilty. But you know the goodness of God. The breath that you breathe is a gift from him. The food that you eat is a gift from him. All that we enjoy in life's journey, his hand has supplied it. And and the goodness of God has caused you at times to feel conviction in your heart and mind. And the spirit of God has striven with you. And there there have been times when you've been brought into trouble or sickness or illness. And you've felt the urge to call upon him. You've wanted in your heart to be saved. And and you've thought about it. And you maybe have talked with it uh, 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 to others. And the spirit of God has been striving with you. And yet tonight you're still not saved. Today you have quenched and vexed and grieved the spirit. Remember the Lord Jesus taught It'll be more tolerable For the people of Sodom and Gomorrah In that day To the people in his day in Capernaum We read over there in Matthew chapter 10 And in the verse 15 uh, These particular words Matthew 10 and uh, 15 He says this Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And if that is true about the cities that the Lord Jesus ministered in, then how much more is that not true in Northern Ireland that has the the light and the liberty of the gospel being preached? You think of Sodom and Gomorrah with all their vile affections, with all their wicked abominations before the Lord. And yet four times... Four times. Matthew 10, 15. Matthew 11, 24. Luke 6, 11. Uh, 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 Mark 6, 11. Luke 10 and 12. Four times the Lord Jesus said, it'll be more tolerable for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah than for this city or that generation. Sodom and Gomorrah had no Bibles. They had no gospel. They had no preachers. They had no mission. They had no church services. And yet they're going to receive punishment, yes, for their vile abominations and wickedness. But your punishment will be greater because you're sinning against light. You're you're sinning against... I won't be sad if it's free Presbyterian homes that children and young people come from. Or or sat in free Presbyterian churches or or, or Baptist churches and heard the preaching of the gospel faithfully proclaimed. And yet while the Spirit of God was striving, they hardened their heart and said no to Christ... Because they loved their sin. 
Here's the description of the ripened harvest. The harvest is ripe. What does that mean? It means it's ready for judgment. I want you to think thirdly and very quickly. The directives about the ripened harvest. Look at these words. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come get you down, for the press is full, the fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Now I want you to ask this question. Who's issuing this directive? Who is uttering this command? Who's addressing who? Well, I believe tonight that God the Father is first of all and pre-ultimately addressing God the Son. And if you have a margin in your Bible, and it's always good to compare Scripture with Scripture, because one portion of Scripture throws light on the other, and here's an Old Testament passage, Joel's an Old Testament prophet, and, and the margin gives an additional rendering over there in Revelation chapter 14 and verses 14 and 15. Let me read them to you. Follow them carefully. And I looked and behold a white cloud and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. Underline that. And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud. Thrust in thy sickle and reap for the time has come for thee to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe. You see, there's a truth here. A white cloud, and upon the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, who had in his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And the angel comes out and, and directs this one who sits in the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap. You see, this is addressed to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of the harvest. And as the Lord of the harvest, he has got a sickle in his hand. And he's prepared to use that sickle to cut down men and women for the wickedness of their hearts and their lives. So there's a truth here. It's Christ that's in view. Put ye in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. God the Father is addressing God the Son as the Lord of the harvest. But I want you to see something else. There's a triumph here. You see, think of this splendid scene. A white cloud. And upon the cloud, one like the Son of Man. And is that not a, a triumphant scene for us to think about? There's also a title here. If you look at Revelation 14, 14 and 15, Christ is called the Son of Man over and over again. It's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. As I've said, the Lord Jesus Christ is a true man. It's a reference to his humanity. We believe tonight that he was born of the Virgin Mary. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. He lived among men. He lived a sinless life. He died an atoning death. He, he rose again bodily from the dead. He ascended to heaven. He, he, he is seated at the Father's right hand. He's there as the God-man. He's coming back as the God-man. And he's coming in human form. He's coming visibly. And every eye shall see him. How do we know that? Well, let's again compare Scripture with Scripture. 
Revelation chapter 1 and in the verse 7, it was John that said in the Isle of Patmos um, this tremendous truth. Revelation 1 and 7, it reads as follows, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. And that will be a visible, it will be a tangible process. It's also a reference not only to his humanity, it's a reference to his humiliation. See, the Son of Man is a lowly title. Why is that title used? You see, the judgment that Jesus Christ bore in his own body in the tree was also part of his exaltation. He himself said there in John chapter 5 and verses 27 and verse 28, listen to the word of God again. This is what he says. John 5 and 27. And hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. And they that shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. You see, It means that this title is used simply as a reward for his life of suffering and shame. He has been raised again bodily from the dead. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. Many on earth reject him. Many ridiculed him. And yet one day all men are going to bow before him. And they'll either bow now in time or bow on that final day. And every man will bow. Even the devils on earth, even the demons in hell, even the atheists and the humanists and all who reject him. How do we know? The scripture says in Philippians 2 verses 8 and 9 that every tongue shall confess and every knee shall bow and declare that Jesus Christ is still Lord of all. And when he comes, he's still the son of man. No longer in a state of humiliation, he's now exalted. As the son of man. He's no longer in the lowly place. He now reigns in power and glory. It's a reference to his honor. You see that truth here. Should cause us to think of that triumph. And bear that title. There's a throne here. His throne's above all thrones. And powers and authority. The man of sin is going to be destroyed. Whom he'll destroy with the brightness of his coming. The false prophet will be exposed and destroyed. The old dragon will be bound for a thousand years. And Christ will sit to judge the ungodly. Did you notice there's a tiara here? A crown? Is that golden crown that he mentions in Revelation 14? Verse 14. Not a symbol of his victory. Usually crowns were presented after a victory in a battle. He returned in triumph and victory. And the Lord Jesus is wearing it now. He's not coming to be crowned. He's already crowned. He's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And and he was crowned because of the victory of his cross work. Remember what Colossians 2 says. That having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. And that's a direct reference to his cross work, which is mentioned in Colossians 2 and verse 14. Think of those who crucified Christ. That's their last view of him. 
They'd rejected him. He's the man of sorrows. He's mocked and hated and despised. They had cried, not this man, to reign over us. They have crucified him. They had seen him die. And yet, while that's their last view of him, on this last day, they'll get sight of that golden crown. They'll see him seated on that white cloud. And they will tremble. Because on that day, when they see him, they will meet him as their judge. Could I urge you to fear him now? Could I urge you to turn to him now? Could, could I say to you there's a great need for you to make a full surrender? Could, could you not come and say, Lord, I surrender all? There's also a thrusting here. Notice the words, thrust in thy sickle and reap. Here's a call to Christ to put in the sickle. He's the Lord of the harvest. And he's coming back, and here's one of the reasons that he's coming. He's going to reap the harvest of the world. This one day will be the day to end all things. Multitudes, he said, in the valley of decision. And the word decision, as I already told you, as you look at the margin, it means threshing. The multitudes... Of the godless. Many tonight. Who have no fear. Or thought of God. And there. They're in this valley of threshing. And they're going to meet. The one who's got the sickle. The golden sickle in his hand. Should we not fear for men tonight? Should we not fear for the souls of men? What about our family? What about our friends? We know that the wheat and the tares grow together. We know that the wheat and the tares look alike, but they're different inside. Many tonight, of the look of a true believer, they walk and talk like a true believer, but unless they're really born again of the Holy Spirit, they're not a true Christian. And the day of opportunity in that day will be gone. It's closer than you think. Christ is coming to bring an end to every gospel's opportunity for every sinner to repent and receive him. Many don't like the subject of eternal punishment, subject of judgment to come, the subject of hell where the fire is not quenched and where there's eternal darkness. But let me tell you that that's real. And we've got to be faithful. Let, let me close with a couple of illustrations tonight. I want you to think of a French atheist. His name was Voltaire. All through his life he said there's no God. There's no heaven or hell. There's no judgment to come. There's no need to be saved. He, he, in fact, challenged God on many occasions to strike him down. And God never done that. On his deathbed, he was been nursed by a nurse. The nurse said she'd never, ever witness the death of a professing atheist ever again. Because Voltaire died with these words on his lips. There is a God. There is a hell. There is a punishment for sin. And I am lost I want to tell you a story a true story of a mother she loved the Lord, she attended church she had one daughter only one daughter growing up and she brought her daughter out to the house of God and that daughter sadly grew up as a child into a teenager to resent the gospel and when she was a late teen she left home she went into university uh, she got a good education. She started up a business and a job. But in the university, she was introduced to the drink, drug culture. She married a man. Sadly, she ended up 
getting divorced. She ended up with a string of affairs uh, with a different men. Sadly, she uh, made the wrong choice, we believe, the sinful choice of having uh, a number of abortions. She lived to party. She was foul-mouthed. It was a form of escapism. She was really running away from God. Her mother tried her best to keep in contact and all was going well to this daughter uh, late in life fell very ill. The doctors told her she had cancer. She asked the mother, because she had no other place to stay, if she could stay in the spare room. And the mother said, you can, providing you do one thing for me, you come out to church at least once. And, and she did that. And she sat under the sound of the gospel and she heard a faithful gospel message. Well, one night she woke up screaming. Three o'clock in the morning, she was absolutely terrified. And the mother came running into the room and all the girl could say was Ezekiel 7, 8 and 9. Ezekiel 7, 8 and 9. And the mother rushed out of her room to get her Bible and fumbled through it and got this passage of scripture and read it to the girl. The mother urged her to repent and receive Christ just at that moment. Call on the Lord. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now I've been told the story. And I'm told the story this way. That that girl, when the mother repeatedly read those verses, not knowing what they meant, that the girl in her 50s gave a shout and she fell down back in the bed and she was gone into eternity. You see this sharp golden sickle in the hand of Christ, it cuts and divides. And those whose cup of iniquity is full that's ripe for judgment, there's going to be an awful reaping. And I finish with this, and this is true. You've heard of the late Sammy Workman. I was converted under the late Sammy Workman. Did you know when he was a child, he walked to school. There was no such thing as buses in those days. And he had to go pass a, a blacksmith shop and he always heard the clanging of the hammer and he was afraid to look in but when he got that wee bit older and picked up a wee bit of courage and then he went one day to the door and he saw the blacksmith with tongs in his hand and a hammer and in the tongs was a piece of metal and it was quite hot and he brought it out of the furnace and he brought it over to the anvil and he bit away at it as much as he could and he was actually making a horseshoe and after he had made a horseshoe out of this piece of metal, he uh, was black now, the, the white heat had gone out of it, and he took it in his hands, and he looked at it a minute, and he threw it over into a pile where there was other horseshoes. Well, uh, well he, or Sammy Workman, he decided, you know, I want to look at that horseshoe. So he went over to pick it up, so he, he picked it up, and he dropped it down. It was burning his hand. He did the same thing three times. The old blacksmith laughed, and he came over on every occasion and picked it up and fumbled it a wee bit and then handed it to Sammy Workman and he dropped it down again. And then the blacksmith did this and he put his hands up. And of course, the hands were hard and callous. The, 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 the hands were black and there were coarse. And he could see the scars of many a burn on them. And you know, that blacksmith's hands, sadly, is a picture of many hearts. And they're hard and they're coarse and they're gallus in relation to the things of God. Christ, who's got the golden sickle, will reap for heaven. And there'll be a people saved by his grace. A whole company of people out of every tribe and nation and tongue among men. Will you be among them? 
Sadly, in that day of final harvest, Christ will reap for hell where the vile of the earth and the whole company of the ungodly will have stored up the cup of God's wrath, filling up their cup of iniquity. And they'll be cast from his presence because their hearts have remained hard and cold and callous. See, I want you to see this. This is a great truth. There's a triumph here. There's a, there, there's a title here. There, there, there's also a throne here, a tiara here. But there's a thrusting here. Thrust in thy sickle. And it's the Lord of the harvest. Will you be like Voltaire and deny God, Christ, and heaven and hell and die as you lived? Will you be like that young daughter who just live in sin? You know, once sin gets a hold of your heart and you love sin and don't want to repent and, and return from it, sin will bring you down, cost you more than you want to pay, take you further than you want to go. And will you end up with a heart that's as hard and callous as that blacksmith's hands? And all that's left is the reaping.